Welcome to the award-winning show, Holding Down the Fort, brought to you by U.S. Vet Wealth. A podcast show that focuses on sustaining a fulfilling, a purposeful military life through conversation and community building. I'm Jen Amos, a Gold Star daughter, veteran spouse, and creator of Holding Down the Fort. And I'm Jenny Lynn Stroop, a seasoned military spouse, mom of two boys, and your co-host. Together, we'll converse with special guests from the military community and for the community to share knowledge, resources, and relevant stories on how we can best hold down the fort for ourselves and our loved ones. Now let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the award-winning podcast show, Holding Down the Fort. I am your creator and co-host, Jen Amos. And of course, as always, I have my amazing co-host with me, Jenny Lynn Stroop. Jenny Lynn, our listeners cannot see this, but we are totally twinsies today. Welcome back to the show. <laughs> we are. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And yes, apparently this is what like a year together looks like. We show up you know, virtually, not even in the same state wearing the same clothes. It's just so hilarious because like my mother-in-law like got <laughs> me this whole outfit like yesterday because we're about to, you know, go to West Virginia and the weather's already dropping and it's like, yeah, got to get ready for that winter time. But all that being said, we are really excited because we, of course, have another incredible guest on our show here today at Holding Down the Fort. Let me go ahead and bring her on. We have Emily Millman, who is a military spouse, physical and mental health advocate, and nurse. So without further ado, Emily, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Although I definitely missed the the cozy plaid memo. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in Vermont right now, so that's like totally the MO. That's the vibe right now, so. Oh, is it? Oh man. (laughs) Yeah. What's the weather there? Is it beginning to drop up there too? It's cold. Yeah. We're down in the forties at night already. Uh, it's been raining and generally miserable. So it's been very nice and cozy inside. Hot yeah. and baby snuggles and hanging out. <laughs> We've also, can't see it, but we also have Theodore on the podcast today and he's wearing his comfy, cozy pink polka dot fleece jammies today. So he's it. maybe fitting in at the vibe a little better than I am. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's making up for you. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. Well, uh, Emily, as I mentioned, it's so great to have you on here. I know that you had applied to be on our show for, I think, months ago. So I'm just glad that we finally have this opportunity to chat with you. And also to our listeners, if you want to learn more about Emily, you can check her out on Instagram, scrubs, period, squats, period, and sass. So it's that scrubs, period, squats, period, sass. So real quickly, Emily, how did you come up with that name? Because I think that's a really cool name. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So when I started like health, fitness, nutrition, mindset coaching years ago, there's sort of like this pressure to come up with the perfect name. And it's Mm -hmm. this nerve wracking playing with all these different ideas. And I ultimately, I was really into like the idea of alliteration, uh, Mm -hmm. scrubs because I'm a nurse squats because working out and then the sass is just sort of an innate part of my personality. So it took, it took a little bit to get there, but it's given me a little bit of license to let the sassy part out sometimes, which I think is kind of fun. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's very fitting considering how like you are the mermaid hair girl, you know, like, (laughs) I think you really represent your brand and I think it's clever. It's like three S's, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, I thought I'd start by asking you, Emily, you know, as you know, the show is called Holding on the Fort. And so I want to open up by asking you, because your life has been changing a lot as of late, what does Holding on the Fort look like for you nowadays? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, we'd originally connected months ago. And at that point, I was living in South Korea, and we were sort of in this state of flux. My son had just been born, and we were about to PCS back overseas, which was Mm -hmm. a six-week turnaround between those two events, which was a great time. Then we didn't really know where we were headed or what it was going to look like. So at this point, Theodore and I are physically in Vermont, staying with my family. My husband, who is active duty army, is on a rotation. So right now, in essence, our holding down the fort at the moment is primarily parent. And we were chatting before about, uh, I never expected to be co-parenting with my parent, but here we are. <laughs> That's what life throws at you. And the other piece that's a big chunk of my life right now is financially sort of trying to recuperate from our overseas experience, which because Mm. we have dogs Mm. was financially quite devastating. And we were fairly well set up 
previously, and it costs a lot of money to send dogs back and forth overseas. So I'm also a nurse. I work uh, very part-time in my small local emergency department. And then, of course, with COVID, that's also a really sort of big, hard, like ER nursing is always an adventure, but with everything that's happening in the world right now, that's an even more crazy adventure. So for me, holding down the fort right now is taking care of Theo and then also sort of working, trying to support my community locally while working, building back finances, and then also continuing to sort of support this uh, platform that I've built with Scrub Squat SAS in doing my best to sort of inspire people to take care of themselves. And sometimes that's easier than others. But right now I'm in a phase of really just trying to walk the walk and yeah, come along with me if you want to, but I am in survival mode at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I have to commend you for just the way you've been describing your whole experience so far. I feel like you've um, reframed it in a very positive way using words like interesting and adventure. <laughs> so kudos to you and that amazing attitude. We were talking a little bit about this offline and Jenny Lynn had some things she also related to. So Jenny Lynn, just want to check in with you and see if there's anything you want to add. Oh man, I mean, kudos to you for like using this tour to, to recoup and rebuild and co-parent with your own parent. Been there, <laughs> done that very helpful to have that support. Also, probably one of the most strange experiences of my life was being in my 30s with two young children living with my parents again is not a reality I ever saw coming when I got married, ever. And then we did it again. We did it like for a year and then had six months back at our house and then went back because my husband did back to back deployment. So, you know, kudos to you though, for rebuilding and then setting yourself up well. I mean, I have to say that that was one of the great, in addition to the help and the love and support, like that was one of the great things we were able to do too, was like get on our feet. Cause then we moved to a really expensive yeah. duty station. So it was nice to have that time of, you know, not having to worry about all of those things. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very intrigued by your experience in trying to like send your dogs from one place to another. I don't think we've really talked about that on the show yet, Jenny Lynn, on what that experience is like. So how is it like? I mean, it's one thing to send furniture and wait for months to get it in the house, but what's it like to, you know, have to deal with transporting dogs from one place to another? Oh my gosh, I could talk about this all day too. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously transporting, you know, from CONUS to CONUS duty stations is it can be challenging. There's definitely, you know, some hotels are cool with dogs, some aren't, I mean, on how far you're going. It's uh, definitely can be challenging with, you know, just physical space in the car and how well your pets do when you're driving for long distances, things like that. And Korea was my husband's first duty station. I had been travel nursing for a few years prior mm. to enlisting. Mm. So we had done cross-country trips multiple times before and had traveled lots within the country with the dogs. But this was the first time I'd ever flown with them. And it varies country to country. My familiarity is primarily with Korea, to and from Korea. Korea is considered to be not a rabies-free country, but very, very close to a rabies-free country. Mm. I think they haven't had a case of rabies since like the 80s or something. So every dog or cat coming into the country has to have proof of a rabies titer test that like, mm. not only do you have to have rabies vaccination proof, but also proof that they have antibodies against it. That test is very expensive and there's only two labs that do it. So it takes a long time. And that's been, you know, I've also been sort of like very tied into the dog world while I was in Korea. So with COVID, it was especially rough with people trying to move back and forth. And then pre-COVID, it was expensive. It was $3,500 total for my boxer, who is wow. five pounds. And he's tall. He had to go in a fairly large crate. But because he's a squishy-faced dog, or brachycephalic is the, the technical term, he had to go buy a professional pet shipper. There's sort of three different ways you can do it. If it's a small enough pet, you can take them in the cabin with you which is specific mm. to active duty military only. Most airlines, no airlines at all recognize emotional support animals, including military flights, which is a new change since I moved back and forth. So they have to be very small to fit in cabin. Yeah. 
or they can go on some flights. Again, at this point, I think overseas is only available to active duty military through any U.S. airline. There's limited spaces sort of like in a pressure controlled, temperature controlled area in the cargo hold, like underneath where you sit in the plane. Or there's professional pet shippers, which is called manifest cargo, that basically airlines sort of can make money from shipping big things by themselves. So you ship them separately from yourself. And that involves, you know, careful professional handling and much sort of safer environment. There's been a couple of really sad stories recently. There was a cat um, in Hawaii who went like along with somebody on their ticket, not with a professional shipper. And the baggage handlers broke her crate with a forklift and she went missing in the, oh, no. in the cargo area. And I don't believe they ever found her. That's so, like my biggest fear with like traveling with dog or pets is like, I hear that pets have to go at like the bottom of the plane. And it's like, who watches them? Who takes care of them, you know? And if you're going for a long flight, so like for as long as my husband and I have had a dog, I mean, fortunately, we've only been in the US with our dog, but we would just road trip everywhere. We're like, we are not taking our dog on a plane. I mean, you know, like you, our dog is like a 70 pound, (laughs) you know, animal. So it's like, no, we are not, you know, we are not putting it on a plane. Yeah, it's really, really scary. And so that's one of the like sort of bummers is manifest cargo using a professional shipper is really expensive, which is Mm -hmm. cost prohibitive for so many families, particularly, you know, active duty enlisted. That's a really rough but it's also much safer. And in some cases, you don't have any choice at all. And then it's gotten much more expensive. Him going back the same exact trip, a year and a half later was 5,500 instead of 3,500. So, and that's wow. going to continue to climb, it looks like. And more and more airlines are sort of refusing to, to take pets at all because they can't stack them. Whereas yeah. they're shipping you no know, an example that I was given is like, if it's mushrooms for a fancy restaurant in New York City, they can vertically stack that and charge for cubic space. So they can make much more money than they can with just one dog crate that can't have anything on top of it. But yeah, it's a total random wow. tangent. <laughs> I'm just especially curious of it because it's like, I feel like there's a part of me that feels like I can't, I can't really like truly travel the way I want till like my dog dies of old age or something, you know, because otherwise, I mean, you know, he has like separation anxiety. And so like one of us is always with him and I can't even fathom the idea of like putting him at the bottom of a plane. And I mean, even, I didn't even consider the cost of that. So that is just so crazy how a year and a half later, it just spiked like that. Yeah. COVID, especially in Korea, we saw a ton of that people would get a pet spot on the military flight out there. Mm. Of course they, for some reason they have 10 pet slots on each flight like going to Korea, but only five coming back. So, mm-hmm. and then people really commonly adopt dogs while they're in Korea. So, but then they aren't able to get a space coming back and yeah. are then in this like, okay, well, I can't afford $5,000 to ship this dog home. There's no other way for me to get my dog home. I guess I'm rehoming my dog. So there's just like yeah. a, a rampant like prevalence in that community of people rehoming or abandoning pets, including pets that they brought from the U.S. and have like raised and they end up. And in Korea, this is a yucky topic, but um, in Korea, that's especially scary because dogs that get abandoned, truly abandoned, are at risk of being scooped up and ending up at dog meat farms, not just Uh. they're going to be in a shelter and no, they're going to bounce from home to home, which is also a totally real possibility, but they can also be eaten, literally eaten. So. Yeah. Those are some of the realities of dogs that I sort of block out of my memory sometimes is <laughs> like knowing like that's the real thing that could happen and does happen, you know, actively to dogs. But yeah, I guess I, I really just wanted to ask because I was like really, really, really curious about that. And, you know, despite all the moves that I've done, it's all been in America. So I haven't had to worry to ship my dog in that, you know, kind of fashion. Yeah, my best advice for anybody who's going to be PCSing Oconus with pets is just start the process really early. There's several Facebook groups if you search for, you know, moving overseas with pets, there's lots you can find. There's a specific group for Korea called Flying Pets Korea that is where I learned all of the things that I know. But yeah, start 
as soon as you get orders, learning what you need because the process takes a long time if you need those rabies titer tests. There has to be like a podcast show out there that is all about like traveling with pets. Like I bet you if I look it up, I'm going to find it because it seems like such an interesting topic. (laughs) That's a really good thought. There should be. Yeah. I bet I can search for it and I'll find it. But I was like, huh, that's a really good topic. (laughs) So speaking of which, Emily, it sounds like you've been able to, you know, having been in the military life for a couple of years now, like you're fairly new as a military spouse. It sounds like you've really gotten a handle on things very quickly. But one of the things, and I see you're rolling your eyes already, is that one of the lessons that you want to share, you know, on our show is coping with the complete loss of autonomy. So even though it sounds like you have been on top of your journey so far in regards to what you've been sharing with us, I know that it sounds like there was a lot of letting go at the same time in order to adapt to this life. Oh my gosh. So I am a very recovering type A personality. My mom likes to talk about when I was a kid, she needed to give me a 15 minute warning before the 15 minute warning before it was time to leave. And if you had told me that I would end up married to somebody in the military where I was going to get no 10 day notice of an overseas move, I would have laughed in your face and told you you were on another planet. (laughs) But here I am. So yes, one of my first experiences, I should preface this with, I had no military experience at all whatsoever leading into this. When I met my now husband, he was not in the military, only revealed to me that that was his lifelong dream after I'd already fallen hook, line and sinker for him. Um, so I had to like make the make that decision of you know am I really interested in signing up for this and not really knowing super well what I was getting into. Um, we were also older when he enlisted. He enlisted at thirty. So well, I didn't know you can enlist that. I, I I've always made the assumption that you have to be like in your young twenties or something to enlist. But that's really interesting to know at thirty. Yeah, to enlist. he went through basic training with somebody who I think was thirty-two was the oldest, and I believe that's the oldest they'll let you. And I'm sure it's also sort of job dependent to some degree. But I also know that recruitment and retention are huge issues, so it wouldn't surprise me if they're relaxing it further rather than less now. But yeah, so my first experiences were sort of Facebook derived and trying to lean in. I only personally knew one family that was military. I grew up in Vermont and we do have National Guard here, but it's not a super common thing for people to be active duty in my area. And I grew up in a household that it was sort of like a, like, that's what you do if you can't do something else. Like, and I'm not, I'm not saying that's my, but that was sort of my vibe growing up. Mm -hmm. So my husband, like, you know, his recruiter, put me down for this Facebook group that I guess they were giving to all of the new spouses at the time. And I sort of pinned all of my hopes and dreams on like, okay, I'm going to get into this space and I'm going to connect with other people who are like, not stoked about this, but (laughs) it's going to be okay. And like, we're going to teach each other and learn, like, I'm going to figure it all out. It's going to be okay. And then I got accepted into that Facebook group, like four days later and it was just post after post after post of like, God bless and protect my soldier. I cry every day that they're gone. And I was like, oh no, oh no, 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 no. This is not my vibe. I can't do this. And of course I did later, like I have since like found people and connected with people that this is not the you no know, life that they would have picked for themselves. And sort of in that space of like, no, I'm not super into this, but I'm also not going to gripe about it. And we're going to look at it as an interesting adventure and we're going to roll with there it. There you go. But yeah, so it's definitely been an interesting adventure. And the sort of immediate overbearing sense right off the bat, like even the word that they use for anybody who's, I guess, new to the show and isn't familiar with military life, they use the word dependent for family members. And I had been, have always been an incredibly independent human being. And Even just that terminology like rocked me for a long time. And I had a really hard time with it. Definitely a total sense of like I was demoted from, you know, college educated, young professional working in like a respected field and, you know, feeling like I was like, you know, a real person doing real things, you know, playing at adulting. And then went from that to you are an accessory to your husband and you only exist because of him and your entire existence is dependent on him dependent on where he what he's doing and that 
is so hard. And I really think, and based on the people, the other people that I've spoken to about this, I also really think this tends to be harder for people who come from another life into the military and less so if you go straight in as like a younger adult. Like if you go straight in from high school, if you go straight in from college, uh, there's obviously still lots of hard things. But I think you can sort of build your sense of identity in that space. Whereas I had built my sense of identity elsewhere and then sort of just had it stripped. It was like, you no longer matter at all. Like you are a hassle, you are a burden, you are no just like no a dependopotamus, oh. like all of the nasty, like sort of vibes oh, that get thrown oh, out man. there. And that was really hard for me. So I had to navigate this space. And when I was thinking about like what I would be able to share with you, that's one of the things that I think has been a huge part of my experience as a military spouse is navigating in each area and each phase and each season, what my identity looks like. And it's had to change multiple times, which is really frustrating, but also allows for some exploration, which is really cool. There are so many similarities in our story. I mean, my husband was already enlisted when we met, but I mean, he was also considered old when he enlisted. So he was exceptionally old when he was picked up for OCS and became an officer. So we've always lived in that weird in between two of like, we're too old for the people whose rank is the same as my husband's, but we're too young for the people who are like, we're too junior to be with the people who are our age. So it's, that's a weird life all in itself. I mean, just that very small piece, but similarly, when I met and married my husband, I remember my mom saying to me like, yeah, I mean, who ever thought that this is what you would do? And I like looked at her and I was like, what do you, what do you mean? She's like, yeah, I mean, you told me when you were like 16, you were never marrying anyone in the military. And I was like, well, I was very wise then. Like apparently, you know, I was my wisest at 16 and knew how all the things were going to turn out because here we are, you know, almost 13 years in, like I'm still here as a military spouse. But I mean, I like chuckled in solidarity mostly over that word dependent because like it just makes my skin crawl and it made me sweat a little bit as you were saying it and it's interesting because as a navy spouse even though that moniker still applies like I have heard so much from my army spouse friends like it is just such a crushing thing on that side like I'm great like we still get it some, but I don't think we get it quite like you guys get it. And for that, I'm grateful because it is hard. I mean, I was the same. When I met and married my husband, I had a house, a car, a job, all of it was paid for all on my own. He was the one living in the barracks at, you know, 25, <laughs> like, you know, all the things. And I knew what I was going to do. And then all of a sudden, like when we moved because of his career, like, I mean, that whole, and I was a young mom, like the first time we moved, I had a two-year-old and a three-year-old and, you know, had quit my job and went to this new place and was dependent upon Matthew's job for finances and where we were and what we were going to do and had a, an extraordinarily difficult time with it because at the same time I was still like a young mom going what is my life right now like there are these people that need me and they never sleep and <laughs> and also we're in a strange town and you know and I mean honestly like we are eight-ish years out from that and I'm almost 40 and have finally like been able to come to terms with like, I had to have that reckoning and it was hard. I mean, it was years for me. Like I have journal upon journal of just like, what is happening, <laughs> you know? And it's, but it's only been the past couple of years that I've really like, not only embraced like the military spouse portion. And I want to like stress portion because I think there for a while I was a little lost and that's what I was like, especially at the duty station we were in, there was such an emphasis on what do you do? And when I would respond, I stay at home with my children because my husband is active duty, I would get the, okay, moving on. Like, and they would literally like walk away to somebody else. 
And only for the time period that I had a job with the USO where I could go, I'm a project coordinator for the USO. Did people hang around and like still want to learn what I did, but stay at home mom was not a qualifier anybody wanted to talk about. You know, that's been the last couple of years that I've been able to go, yeah, I'm a military spouse and I really like that identifier, but it is not my entire identity. And honestly, like, I've never really claimed the dependent one <laughs> other than the fact that that is where our financing came from, but that was a little different. <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard to go from like, you are your own person. And especially as a new parent to then have to, I can't imagine, like, at least I had sort of time to wrestle with that before I became a parent, because then when you become a parent, your entire identity is changing anyway. My heart goes out to you. That's a really, really hard, that's a really hard transition. Yeah, it was definitely, I mean, I had a master's degree and a real job and like all of a sudden was relegated to stay at home mom of two that nobody wanted to talk to because I didn't do anything. And I'm thinking, but I do a lot of things. Like I do a lot of things. So it was definitely an interesting experience. It took a few years and a few scars to get over. Leave it. Whenever people talk about the stay at home mom thing and they're like, oh, like you're not doing anything. I think of those, you know, it's like a trend <laughs> the last year or so on Facebook could be like, describe what you do for work, like without saying what you do for work. And it's like, you literally as a parent, like are responsible 24, seven, 365 days a year, except, you know, an occasional break here and there for keeping small humans alive that are constantly trying to die, like <laughs> trying to hit their heads, trying to choke themselves, like they're just constantly trying and they can't do anything for themselves when they're little or you no, know, then they're, you know, you look ahead and they're teenagers and then they're trying to do all sorts of other things. And like your job Back. is to keep them alive. Almost teenagers. Like, that's a very big job. And who else? No, I'm a nurse and my job at work is obviously like high pressure, whatever. But when I clock out, I go home and I'm done in theory, but you don't get to do that when you have small humans. Like that's the yeah it is I mean I have almost teenagers now and there's still no clocking out and their issues are totally different and most days they're still trying not to take care of themselves by doing really stupid things like as babies you're just doing unintentional stupid things but like as almost teenagers you're doing purposeful stupid things that I'm still like what is like what are you doing like why 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 and then, I mean, I'm like right now, my husband's on CDD, so I'm 90% of the time like single parenting with all of the whys that come with teenage boys that I fundamentally don't understand. <laughs> Just sitting over there waiting for those prefrontal cortexes to finish developing. It is a long Another wait. 10 years to go. Long, long, long wait, long wait. <laughs> I just love hearing you guys talk about kids because, you know, my husband and I are having those talks now of like wanting to start a family. And I told Jenny Lynn, I want to have five kids and I'm going to have them as fast as I can. I do. My mom comes from a family of five siblings. So I'm like, I can do it too. I want to do it. I can, I can, I can knock it out. But <laughs> I think part of why I gravitate toward a lot of mothers is because I hope that I build a big enough network of moms so that when I start having kids, like the last thing I could feel is a sense of shame or guilt or, you know, like those are like two big feelings that I just want to like not exist. Knowing that I have an army of, of moms who have been through it and, and that, you know, you all still show up anyway in the way that you do and you're all rock stars, you know, like, so just, you know, thank you both <laughs> for venting about motherhood, but it was also very insightful for me as well to know all that. Emily, I do have a question for you and, and Jenny Lynn, feel free to answer after this as well. But what was sort of the, I would say like kind of the positive mind shift or the mantra you came up for yourself when you accepted your life as it is now, like knowing that you did have a very independent life, you know, before being with your husband, like what was that mindset or that mindset shift? I'm curious. Yeah, so I don't really know that I have like a solid one, to be honest, because it's still an ongoing, something that I worked a lot on in therapy while we were in Korea and I wasn't working as a nurse, um, which is also a big piece of my identity, is sort of the idea that, and I think this is really, really common, but I absolutely tend to sort of get my validation about who I am as a person and my worth from extrinsic sources. So and I think this is really common, particularly in women, that we feel like we only have value based on our sort of 
output, like, you know, it's making babies or paycheck <laughs> or volunteer work yeah. or, you know, how many papers you can write or whatever that thing is, um, that it's really, really, really common that we base our value, our self-worth on that. And I'm still working through that. Like that's still an ongoing struggle for me. That being said, earlier on sort of in this process, my mantra for years, and I had yeah. this like on my phone screen, like on my lock screen, which I highly recommend doing. Fun fact tidbit, uh, pick a picture you love and motivates you and write a positive affirmation because you look at your phone screen a million times a day. And if you have something positive right there, I found that to be hugely helpful. But so mine was for a very long time. <laughs> I can overcome any obstacle that comes my way. And that was really my mindset for the first solid two years of like going into military spouse life. And then, you know, in therapy, just introduced the concept of radical acceptance, which is like, yeah. what if you can't overcome that comes your way, then what? It's like, wow, mind blown. Now what do I do? still learning, evolving, working in that space. But um, that was definitely like a big, like, okay, I have the choice to, you know, I can curl up in my tiny little turtle shell and be miserable. And I definitely have these that I do that. I'm really big on being sort of open and transparent about mental health. If you have a mind, you have mental health. And we all struggle at times. And it's still so stigmatized. And, but I think that's really important to talk about that like there were definitely there have been days that I'm like nope I'm gonna curl up in a ball in my bed today and I'm not getting up and mm -hmm. I can't do that with Theo that doesn't really work very well mm -hmm. <laughs> so when my mental health started to sort of take a dive this summer I went and got on medication which has been hugely helpful um, for both depression and anxiety overcoming any obstacle that comes your way and then sort of the thought process with that is just like you have the choice to be miserable and mm -hmm. get knocked over by everything that like hits you and you can just be miserable and be in a tiny turtle ball or you can take a deep breath sit with those feelings process them and then sort of like okay now we move to the next thing one of my favorite quotes is like feel your feelings but don't let them unpack and move in mm. not my quote i don't know where it originally came from but i love it but yeah, it's really just been this sort of like, you have the choice. And that comes back to that autonomy too. Like you are not a victim in this. Like you made the decision, you made the decision in the past that you wanted to marry him when he was going in, or you made the decision that you wanted to stay with him when he went in. And you made the decision that you wanted to stay together when he left. And you made the decision that you wanted to go with him. And like, for me, continuing to sort of reaffirm the like, no, this is not happening to you. Mm. You are actively choosing to be a participant in this. Like right now, today, I could absolutely decide, no, I'm done with this and send him a text and be like, I want a divorce. We're done. And like, I'm out. And I'm not choosing that. Like there are hard days, but I'm actively choosing to continue to be present and participatory in our life, our relationship. And I think that mindset is a huge help in not feeling quite so lost choosing yeah, and emphasizing I, that choice yeah absolutely I mean if we're gonna be very action-oriented women it is helpful to say this is my choice I chose to be here and even if I am not you know taking action today if I have to somehow if I have to just like my body just wants to shut down and like lay in bed for a little bit like I can accept that too that is still a choice you know and so I think just like your intentionality you know in this whole process has been it's 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 admirable you know because it is really easy and also and maybe this is just because you're a nurse as well but the willingness to you know take medication for anxiety and depression i myself when my doctor first diagnosed me and gave me meds like i deliberately didn't pick them up i was like no i like i will not i will find out other ways to do it but like i know people who i mean I'm not saying what I did was good, but I know people who have greatly benefited from, you know, taking medication and to hear it from you as a nurse, it's like, it is reassuring to know that one, it's like, you probably could explain the science behind it. And then two, it's like, it, it is actually a beneficial to you to be able to be taking medication.
yay mental health. Like that was my very first thought was yay mental health and all of the good therapy and good help. I mean, you said so many things that were, I was like, oh, my therapist has said that too. Oh yeah, that's definitely a counseling term. Oh, yep. There's another one of those phrases, you know, and on the topic of meds, I mean, I was very much the same. And for me, also coming from a 12-step recovery background, like there was in talking about needing more help than sitting in the rooms of recovery or sitting with a therapist was pretty daunting because there sometimes is that idea that because you're with a therapist or because you're in recovery or because you go to church, like all of these things are going to fix that thing. And so you shouldn't and couldn't possibly need an additional help. And I had a friend that I love very much in the rooms of recovery that was like, yeah, but sometimes you do, and you're not going to get to those other places where like the 12 steps or a Bible study or a book study are going to land and help you out because like the actual chemistry of your brain needs help. And until you level that actual chemistry out, you can do all of those other things and still feel sad, lonely, tired, depressed, empty. And for me, like this friend saying that was just such a gift. And then to have it echoed by somebody else who was like, look, I've tried it both ways, you know, and I've gotten to the point with being on medication that, you know, thought I was so much better that I could go off and found out that that was a terrible idea that my brain is always going to need help. And so, you know, for me, it's definitely a journey of, I think to your point of like choosing, like I'm choosing today to help myself out with this in hopes that at some point I won't have to be on medication because I will be all leveled out. And the other things that I really love, like community and 12 steps and, you know, book studies are the thing that will like keep me level. Okay. I have to, I have to jump on that. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> here's my, I love, I love where you're going with that, but here's yeah. my like extra little like caveat. We, as a society, as a culture, are so quick to know, like, if somebody has, let's use a heart attack as an example, because I'm a nurse and a nerd and I like, I like cardiac stuff. Heart attacks come from narrowing or a blockage in the arteries that feed oxygenated blood to your heart, because your heart is a muscle, it needs oxygen to function. And when those arteries get either squeezed off or blocked off, your heart muscle doesn't get any oxygen, your heart muscle dies, that's what causes chest pain, and that's what will kill you if it's a bad enough heart attack. We don't think twice about people who need, because what you do to fix that is you go in to the artery itself, the medical procedure is to go into the artery of the heart, and you put a little, it's called a stent, and it's like this, it looks like a Chinese finger trap, and it holds that area of the artery open that was blocked. And none of us would say, oh, like you're weak because your 12 step program didn't like open up your arteries for you. Like, oh, you're such a like, loser because, you know, you went to therapy and like, but you still like need this, you know, stent to keep your heart oxygenated. No, like it's such a prevalent thing that mental health and physical health are still so separated. And that's really hard. And it's the same. And no depression, anxiety, no schizophrenia, bipolar, like all of these different avenues. I don't know if either of you are on TikTok, but like, I think everyone in like my entire generation is like realizing right now because of TikTok that we all have undiagnosed ADD or ADHD. <laughs> Thank God I'm not on there then. <laughs> it's a huge, huge thing. Right it's now. so funny. Cause like, you know, I'm a millennial and like when TikTok started to become a thing, that's when I realized I was becoming an older millennial. I was like, I can't even jump off this. I can't even, I tried, I would download it and I delete it like literally every time I can't, I remember Snapchat was the start of it. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't do this, you know? And then TikTok, I was like, I absolutely cannot do this. So I'm glad that, you know, at least one of all the social media accounts I'm on, I'm not on that because I could definitely see getting ADHD being on that platform. So I had the same thought process. I was like, oh my God, I can't keep up with this. But because like, I operate this sort of like mental physical health business space, like keeping up with new social media is part of the deal, right? <laughs> and it's on 
on my favorite platform. Like, because there's so many different avenues. Like you were mentioning like, oh, like, because you're a nurse, you can probably explain how like medication works in your brain. I can't at all. Like, no, like, you know, you learn like the basics in, you know, when you take pharmacology in nursing school, you memorize your flashcards, you take your test, and then whatever job you go into, you become familiar with the medications you use on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. But there's like this whole genre on TikTok of pharmacists and psychologists that explain exactly like individual medications, like this is how it works. And here's a cute picture and like a little graphic of how it like, I learn so much from TikTok. Like I'm not on the side of TikTok that's just like silly dances and like, I'm not belittling that at all. I think well, that's great for performers, I think, to have uh, accounts like that, you know, like dance routines and stuff. But yeah, there's so much I still need to learn about TikTok. I love the, like educational yes, yes. content. Like, yeah, it's yeah. so cool. Yeah, that's really awesome, Emily. And I think, yeah, I just feel like, I just feel like I, I've like lost my mental capacity to like take in a new social media account, but I, you know, I'm sure there's some benefits to it. And maybe in the winter season when I have nothing to do, I might entertain the idea, but going back okay. to your um, analogy with, you know, the heart and the artery and, and adding that stint, you know, it, it gives me uh, reassurance that if we have something similar to that in regards to like mental health and knowing that like, you know, just because you're getting all this social support to get, quote unquote, get better, it still is important. Like medication is still just as important, you know, to help with your overall mental health because, you know, mental health is physical health, essentially, at least from what everyone, everyone yeah. keeps telling me. I'm not a professional to really say that. <laughs> Jenny Lynn, just thought I'd check in with you, see if you had any thoughts. I mean, that literally was the subject of the Facebook Live I did last week was that mental health is health, period. Like, yeah, the end. And I think you know, to talk about all of those pieces that for me are part of that. I mean, mental health is a tenant of overall health. Physical health is a tenant of a like community health, like having a healthy community, having a healthy spiritual or, you know, faith practice, all of that for me leads into that. And I think as far as the medication conversation goes, it was what I originally saw as a great failing of all of those other tenants actually had nothing to do with those. And I could have done those well. I mean, I was eating well. I did a freaking whole 30 and eight paleo for like a year and went to the gym and had a personal trainer and still felt like crap. Like for me, that with the intervention of medication, like then those other tenants fell into place much easier. And for me made my overall health better because I could make better choices. I could, you know, I had the capacity to read the book. I had the capacity to be in community. Whereas before, I mean, depression and anxiety were literally sucking every last bit of energy I had, even from the things that I was supposed to be putting energy toward, like parenting, like grocery shopping, you know? And so I, I love that we today have talked about like mental health is health period. And there are multiple routes to that. And for, you know, Emily, myself and you, like all of our journeys look a little bit different. Nonetheless, you know, here yeah. we are <laughs> being, being healthy in the way that, that works for each of us. Yeah. Agreed. I think that's a really, a really good perspective on it, that it's like, you know, to continue the, the heart attack stent analogy, like you wouldn't expect to you know like if the problem causing the blockage in the first place is you know not great nutrition and not enough exercise like okay like let's add in nutrition and exercise that's great but like you can't exercise with a heart attack happening like you're not going to get the opportunity to clean up your diet if you die of a heart attack right now so like you need that stent to protect you to support you literally to support you and no mm-hmm. medication mm-hmm. for mental health can do the exact same thing. Like it's not, it's mm-hmm. not something that's like to be overcome. Like some people need medication for short periods of time. Some people need it their whole lives. Our brains are all wired differently. Everyone works differently. Postpartum, since we talked about like mom life a little bit as a good mental health sidebar, like postpartum depression in particular and postpartum anxiety and antepartum that's another like sort of little known thing that people can get anxiety depression and psychosis at any point surrounding or after pregnancy and it is a very chemical thing it's not like a failure of you as a person or a failure of you as a potential parent and that almost universally 
like needs to be managed with medication. And it's the exact same thing as a splint for a broken leg. Like it, that is not going to last forever, but it has to be taken care of. It has to be addressed because it's not something that like you should have to power through on your own and like survive through when there's a fix, you know? Yeah. So give yourself a fighting chance with the, with the sunshine and the community <laughs> and the exercise and nutrition, all those things are great, but also don't fight the, don't fight the things that help. Science is cool. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think that was uh, beautifully said. And if anyone needed a refresher on mental health because they're having a tough day, hopefully this conversation would be like, okay, I don't have to fight it. <laughs> like I could get help. Oh, feelings are cool. All about it. Yeah, no, and I love that you brought up like postpartum and antepartum stuff. I mean, my children are 10 and almost 12. And even a decade ago when I had them, like that really wasn't, all that disgust. And I can look back now, what I thought were failings on my part as a military spouse, back to that identity piece, because I was having a hard time because <laughs> my first child I had, and three months later on my first wedding anniversary, my husband went to OCS and I was still working full-time. My second child was born a month into a seven month long deployment. I continued to think that what I was feeling was circumstantial, was, oh, because he's gone. Oh, because you're a single parent. And now I'm like, no, that was straight up like postpartum depression, like that nobody ever talked about. Like, sure, those circumstantial things were adding to it, but they were not the cause. I mean, I'd had thousands of hormones, like you know, surging through my body and I had boys. And so they were like lots of random ones that I don't normally have. <laughs> and so I just I can't speak highly enough to like seeking out the help in that time, even when it feels hard because you're like, I have this tiny human and what am I supposed to do? And to that, I would say, Hey, COVID, like the one great thing you did is prove that telehealth is great. And like, it is a worthy endeavor and you can get stellar therapy, like via phone or, you know, your computer screen, like, and never have to leave your tiny human. Like you can stay with your tiny human and still right, get right. great help for yourself. Man, Agreed. we should really, we should really get some mental health sponsor on the show, Jenny Lynn. But anyway, we should. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we really should. Hey, how about that telehealth pitch? I'm like, I literally was hearing my CCMO be like, oh, yeah, pitch no, absolutely. Awesome. Well, as you all know, we love talking about mental health on the show. And so Emily, I want to just thank you again for sharing a snapshot of your life and getting into all the topics of what it's like to be a mother and a young quote unquote military spouse, meaning, you know, you've been in it for just a couple of years and just mental health in general. I know that one of the challenges that you have faced as a military spouse is bullying. And I think often when we hear about bullying in the military community, it's often addressed toward kids, but you wanted to talk about specifically bullying as a spouse. And so tell us a little bit about that and what that experience has been like for you to experience bullying. Oh my gosh. So, so many examples and instances. And I've definitely sort of had the experience that this is another one of those things that just isn't talked about. And it's just sort of expected that you, you know, go with the flow and pay your dues and you know when you're more senior, then you can speak. And from my very first sort of early interactions when I was, you know, because I wasn't stoked about it. I wasn't excited. I wasn't know I was sort of like I'm here and I'm choosing this but this is not what I would pick on my own and you no know, I'm looking to connect with other people who are also having a hard time and one of my earliest interactions that I remember sort of feeling like being bullied about it is I had somebody who was a very sort of typical older military spouse who know has been in for 18 years and uh, is in charge of all the things and and she told me that I should be ashamed of myself, that my husband should be ashamed of me for uh, daring to, wow. you know, not support him. And, you know, like, like, just like, like, how dare you have the audacity to have your own wow. feelings that don't toe the company line? Like, it was just like a ridiculous, to me, it's absolutely ridiculous. And as sort of a, a quote unquote adult um, who 
already had a previously established identity, I immediately was like, um, no, by <laughs> me. But that's right. not the case for everyone. Like that's, and I witnessed in early on that sort of became my like, this is my like thing that I'm going to go on this crusade of like normalizing not being stoked about being a military spouse, like normalize the fact that like, I don't love this and it's not a great time and it's not all sunshine and roses. And I encountered quite a bit of this and it, it very much tended to be like, I would intervene often when I yeah. saw it happening in online forums uh, from like more seasoned spouses sort of attacking younger ones. There's also an abundance of like lateral quote unquote bullying in and I mean the internet and social media yeah. are such phenomenal resources and we've like really sort of begun to maximize them I think in the last couple of years for where we're at like as a culture right now but there's oh, also yeah. so many challenges that come with that and the like, keyboard warrior thing is a very real phenomenon that people do and say things behind a computer screen that they would oh, yes. never do in person. And it's heart-wrenching. For a little while, I was helping to run a support group for like one of the basic training locations. And you no, know, it was a lot of a lot of brand new spouses or you no know, significant others, people who were coming in and didn't know anything. And like, where do I go for graduation? And how do I write letters? And what can I send that's not going to get them in trouble? Like teaching about OPSEC, like things like that, that I had no clue about any of it when I started. And I was like, okay, I learned, let me pass this forward. And even in my involvement in that group, I am not everyone's cup of tea and I'm very well aware of that. I don't expect to be everybody's cup of tea. That's okay. But there were a few people mm. who were really not into me as a human being and made that known loud and clear via oh, like anonymous comment features. And it was exhausting. And it, it, it got to a point and it was while my husband was in uh, AIT, like secondary schooling after basic and I was living completely by myself for the first time totally depressed you know navigating military spouse world waiting for orders for first duty station and they just weren't coming it was also the winter like it was just like this like perfect storm of all these miserable things away from my support system this like bullying in this space like really started to ramp up that it didn't matter what I did, what I said, like me trying to support other people who were you know, struggling with things, me trying to be encouraging. I was just like getting like trashed and honestly, almost as bad. My like cohort, the other like group admins who were you know in this group, like intended to support each other, wow. just kind of let it stand. And they, they're like, we're going to keep approving these posts. We're going to keep like letting these like go on the page and wow. we're just going to let people fight it out in the comments. And, and, you know, like I did it for a while and then I was just like, this is making me sick. Like I'm so anxious and so sad. And I finally was just like, you know what, like you guys can you know, make this decision. Like, you no, know, I've continued to show up and do my best here. But at this point, like, like it's hurting me more yeah. than it's feeling good to be part of this. So like, you know, the, the choices at this point are you can choose to support me and stop allowing posts that are clearly just trolling to trash me, or I'm going to remove myself from this community. Like that's like, I am not going to continue to set myself on fire here. And they chose to, they were like, we're not going to censor people. And I was like, okay, like, and that was a bummer. Like that was, you know, that was my support system at that point in time. And it was a really like, really toxic environments in a lot of ways. And it, it, yeah, it was really unfortunate. Like, and I'd gotten so much good from that community and felt so good about being able to support other people and help other people navigate. But yeah, that sort of bullying has been a big thing throughout every stage of the process for me. While I was in Korea, there was a few sort of different sort of styles of bullying that I encountered. One of them, I think, is a really kind of classic one uh, that we sort of alluded to a little bit earlier, 
that it's interesting when you're sort of in this middle space of like you're too junior to hang out with people your age, but you're too old to hang out with people the same ranks. And it's this concept of, and I hate that the military does this, but there's very much this concept of like, you can't socialize with people who are above your rank. And I had a spouse literally say to me, like one of her first questions to me was like, oh, what rank is your husband? And like was a hundred percent like basing her decision off whether or not she wanted to spend time with me on that. And then when she found out that he was an E4, she was like, oh, well, like we could hang out, but like your husband could never like be involved. And like my husband could never, and it was just like the stupidest, like it didn't work in the same, like they, they would never have encountered each other at work and like whatever policies are policies, you got to follow them. But I just think it's ridiculous. So definitely some stuff like that. And then again, more like, you know, people really sort of using each other for entertainment, ganging up on each other because they don't have anything else to do. Overseas duty stations in some, or at least in my experience anyway, incredibly supportive in some ways because it's like, you're what you have. Like, like that's it. Like you've got this group of people and everyone around you, nobody speaks Mm. English. So it's not like you can go to the next town over and go to you know, a coffee group and meet up with people yeah. <laughs> unless you're doing it to learn Korean. <laughs> like it's just yeah. a, like an island type situation. But that also means that it's a limited pool of people. So as soon as it gets nasty, you're pretty limited. Yeah. So I've experienced a lot of bullying in a lot of stages and it's a really hard thing. Anybody struggling with that, you are absolutely wrong. And I definitely recommend having some really clear, healthy boundaries for yourself in order to protect your mental health because I've definitely been guilty of tolerating it for entirely too long under the sort of premise that like, oh, like this is what the community is. And like, everyone tells me that like this community is so helpful to them. So like, I'm just like doing something wrong here. And that's not necessarily true. I mean, the key word you said is healthy boundaries, right? It's like, you can only invest so much time in a group before you're like, okay, this is like costing me, (laughs) like emotionally, mentally, even physically. It definitely reminds me of the last group of friends that I made within a seven month period where it got to a point where I thought, you know, before I start hating these people, I think I'm just going to remove myself from the situation because it's just not a good fit. I just decided to leave it at that. It's like, I could sit here all day and and say how much we don't get along, or I could just let go and, and hope that I find community elsewhere. And, you know, it also got me to think about what I experienced as a military kid, or when we transitioned out and having experienced bullying in post-military life by my own friends who also were military kids post-military life. And I remember picking up this phrase early on that goes, I would rather be alone than with bad company. And so I've learned throughout the years to kind of be like friend, my own ally. I mean, I've learned to obviously open up to people and surround myself with people like healthier relationships. But, you know, sometimes it's a lonely path when, you know, you have no choice but to kind of be your own friend in those situations. So I appreciate you bringing light to that because I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think Jenny Lynn, we've talked about bullying amongst amongst other spouses. So I don't know. Any thoughts? I don't think we've addressed that either. We've talked some about not so great experiences people have had. And every time I hear one of those stories, it just breaks my heart because I am for like, continue to realize how fortunate I am to have had the experience I had because that is not part of my story. I have had nothing but incredible support from people that were way farther in this journey than myself and people who were brand new and, you know, looking to be friends. Like my military spouse sisterhood has always been fair. And I should, I guess I shouldn't say sisterhood. I have some male spouse friends too. Sorry guys. (laughs) (laughs) My military significant other, like, you know, group has always been nothing but supportive. And every time I hear those stories, I just think, really, we're still there. Like it's 2021. Like we're still doing this. Like we as military spouses represent 0.25% of the American population. And I say that slowly and loudly because like when we're beating up on our own, like where do we think they're going to go? 
<laughs> especially <laughs> in like a yeah. real military town. I mean, you know, I will say that one of my military spouse mentors and friends, like one of her biggest things involves identity and the fact that like one, you can't solely identify as a military spouse. You need groups of friends, you know, for, for me, it came through like mobs, mothers of preschoolers and, you know, 12 step group and church, you know, and, and she is a huge advocate of that is like, no. And I probably learned that really easily because our first duty station away from my hometown was one in which we were one of one Navy families, one of one. So everybody was a civilian. So I didn't have any choice, but to be friends with people who weren't military spouses. But, you know, when I think about like people that have only ever lived in like those really, really large base areas where like every single person is involved in like, you know, the military community, like, why are we beating up on the very people that we used to be or would want to become and stay around? Like, I mean, I didn't know all those things when I joined either. Like, and I, I mean, again, I was kind of old <laughs> for, for military life. Like, and I grew up in a military area and still had no idea. Like, it was always that thing over there. Like I always felt, you know, like, oh, that's cool. Like the Navy's there, like we're safe, but never involved in it until I married into it. You know, so I, I'm so sad to hear that that has been your experience. And I just hope that there are those of us out there that are listening or like, you know, Jenna and I, who've both been at this a long time, like, please know that that isn't everyone, you know, and we are here to, you know, provide what's it, what's our show motto? We provide good resources. And <laughs> like, I always, I always forget this. Hold up. We're, I got we're this. Here for those who are holding down the fort open. because we're holding down the fort. I don't know. Well, what we're about on the show is, you know, we're all about sustaining a fulfilling and purposeful military life through conversation and community building. It's like the more division I hear, especially, you know, during the pandemic, the more I fight for common ground, the more I fight for having conversations like this, because it is rough out there, <laughs> you know, like it's rough. And a lot of it is projection, you know, like hurt people, hurt people. And thank goodness for mental health, because I think that, you know, there's also a, another corny saying that says heal people, heal people, right? But it's so true as corny as it sounds. And so, you know, so Emily, I just thank you, you know, again, for your transparency and also juggling Theodore while you're doing this interview, by the way, because I know you've been, you've been all over the place here. I think it's so important to, I know when I talk to people about my experience, it's often a response that I get, honestly, is like, oh my gosh, how have all of these terrible things happened to you? Because our entire experience has just been bad from day one. Like all of these flukes that never should have happened, like continued to happen to us. And so it's very much like, you know, like, oh, my husband's supposed to be coming home in March, but I have no hope or plan of that actually happening. Like, I've just completely let go of that expectation, which I think is sort of a healthy, like, roll with the punches, especially for a recovering type A personality. Like, that's a good practice. But I think yeah. it's really important to remember that, again, you know, we've kind of been talking about choices and you, you said something, I don't remember exactly what you said, but it was a really good, like, you chose to separate yourself from the people before it got bad. And yeah. that's just so important that you are, you know, you're the sum of the people that you spend the most time with, whether it be in person or online. And that's a choice that you can make. So like if the people that circumstance puts you with are not the kind of people that you look up to and aspire to be like, then they're probably not the people that you should be hanging out with. And there's so many opportunities for community. There's so many avenues to look for people that you can like look up to and aspire to, you know, be like and make you want to be the best version of yourself. I think that's really important um, to yeah. empower, to make decisions about who you want to spend your time with. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, considering how transient the military life is, as hard as it can be sometimes, sometimes there are benefits to it. It's like, oh, I can start over. It's like, oh, if I didn't really like this environment, at least I can possibly start over with new standards in the next environment, the next location. And so, yeah. Well, wow, what a conversation. <laughs> Thank you for being willing to roll with my windy thought process. And my... <laughs> 
Oh, no, it's my jam. If you have a husband like mine who spits a thousand ideas at you every day, you learn to make sense of it all. So. And a co-host <laughs> who sends them via text at like midnight. Yeah, it's great. But you know, I welcome winding thoughts and ideas because like I enjoy organizing them. So, you know, it's, it, I think we all compliment each other. I've come to believe. But Emily, I think this is a great way to wrap up our conversation. It sounds like the theme of today is really choice. You know, choice in your mental health, choice in your associations, choice in your overall well-being. That's beautiful. And again, like I was really sort of having imposter syndrome and not really sure going into this, like what I could kind of bring to the table to share with people. But I think that's a really beautiful message that you're right, did kind of come out of the theme of the conversation that we don't get a lot of choice in a lot of things as military spouses. So maximizing the choices that you can make on the little things and really leaning into them has been hugely helpful to me. And so I guess that would be, that would be my closing thought. Yeah. And look at you, like talking with us for almost an hour and a half, like you did have a lot to say, despite how you felt about your imposter syndrome. So thank you for working through that anyway. You know, like just kind of like how you were saying earlier that, you know, the way you're processing this whole life is continuously ongoing. And honestly, I think that's just life in general. Like we're always trying to process what we're meant to do in this life. So Emily, thank you so much. All right. And so to our listeners, if you want to get a hold of Emily, remember you can find her on Instagram, which is scrubs period squats period sass. We really enjoyed having Emily on our show today and we hope that you got a lot from our conversation. So with that said, thank you all so much for joining us and we'll chat with you in the next episode. Tune in next time. We hope that you enjoyed today's conversation. Get access to our show notes and subscribe to our newsletter by checking out the details of this episode on your preferred podcasting platform or visit our website, holdingdownthefortpodcast.com. And while you're on holdingdownthefortpodcast.com, be sure to follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or our YouTube channel. If you got a lot of value from today's conversation, kindly leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or leave us a recommendation on our LinkedIn profiles. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time.